Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, your favorite queer stoner horror podcast, the show dedicated to the best and worst the genre has to offer. We are coming to you live from the TCQ Video Store. The only fictional VHS rental spot where you can pick up the classics for only 69 cents a day. I'm a slut, just like my mother. My name is Nicholas. <laughs> it's gonna get you in trouble. <laughs> I know it is. I know she's gonna hear. This is the one episode she's gonna hear. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not patronizing. I'm condescending. My name is Raymond. I f- hate you. It's the truth. The truth hurts. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the store, our lovely little queerdos. We hope you all have been having a wonderful week thus far. We've been gone for such a long time. We need to discuss some films that have caught our attention since the store's been closed or ones that are up and coming. Right off the bat, we need to discuss. By now, it'll be like two months out. But nope. (laughs) How did you feel about nope? I loved. Well, I liked nope a lot. I'll say that. Um, I <laughs> I rated it an eight out of ten, like on our old scale. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it though. Like it's it's very in theme. <laughs> it's very in theme with Jordan Peele to have a running theme throughout the film. So if you can grasp the mm-hmm. theme from the jump, then you can enjoy the film for what it is. If you don't grasp the the theme from the jump you're going to be confused about what this Gordy storyline has to do with the rest of the film. Cause I feel like that's where the general audience had the disconnect. How did you feel about it? I understand the disconnect from the Gordy storyline to like the main plot line. Just from a regular movie viewers stance, you would come to believe that the Gordy storyline is in some way, shape or form, like fully connected to what's going on at the beginning of this movie Mm -hmm. or at the end of this movie. And they're really not just in terms of, they're not following the same storyline, but they are following what she said, the same what everybody theme. The word of the week, y'all. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. The sound, mm-hmm. the cinematography, mm-hmm. the foley, mm-hmm. the this idea, I guess spoiler alert, maybe it's been out for a minute. I hope you guys have seen this one. It's a very you have to watch this one in theaters. Their idea of an alien flying saucer being an actual alien itself was such a great spin for me. I really liked that idea. Um, I have nothing but great things to say about it. I would rate it probably an eight and a half out of 10, very close to a nine. There are parts of it that really, really scared me, but I really enjoyed it. So Jordan Peele has never really steered me wrong. Honestly, uh, even the ones that like, even for his ones that I don't really care for or like care for less than this, I still really enjoyed. Um, He's just got a really Mm -hmm. unique perspective. And I love these themes that he chooses for his horror films. It's some, I feel like it's something new. And I will happily take that than another fucking reboot. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, y'all, is the Black Phone. Wow. You want to talk about original horror? I'm so happy that we're getting this influx of new ideas. Original and, IPs? And, yeah, to the horror genre. And so, Ethan Hawke, man, I, I'm already a fan. It's a weird, like reference but i loved him in training day oh. i love the their performance in sinister 
just a great actor overall and this film was great i loved it so much he plays an incredible character um granted maybe some of the devices they used were a little cheesy or maybe people didn't care for them but overall i'm happy with it and like i said if you're gonna bring some original content i'm here for it i have yet to see it <laughs> i know a travesty i know uh it's on my list which i just i've been trying to enjoy the, the break but during the break, I've watched what everybody in f***ing America and the world has watched. Uh, Stranger Things Volume 4. Ooh. Holy crap. That was a yes. fantastic season. I really, Running really enjoyed the season. Uh, Running up that road. Come on, Kate Bush. <laughs> in flux for Kate Bush, the real winner of season four of Stranger Things was Kate Bush, <laughs> surprisingly enough. I thoroughly enjoyed this. A lot of people didn't like how far-reaching this season went. I, however, disagree. I think it needed to. It needed to outgrow uh, Hawkins, Indiana. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Granted, some of the plot lines lasted longer than they need to. But what a finale. What great new characters. Mm -hmm. Great, great settings. Music choice. Cinematography. Costuming. Makeup. Special effects. The list goes on. I've always sing the praises of Stranger Things, and this is by far my favorite story structure-wise of a season. Season three for me will always be in my, my heart just because of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. The mall setting was so pleasing, but this was a strong follow-up. Like, I I was really worried mm-hmm. because I, like you, really enjoyed season three. I, the mall aesthetic was very pleasing, was very 80s. Um, the new character of, I forgot her character name, but Maya Hawk, I love her. Um, and her Robin. relationship with Steve, Robin. Thank you. Um, there's just a lot. There were there was a lot last season that I really loved, and so I was afraid that season four wasn't going to be able to live up to that. And if I can, you know, it lived up to expectations and more, in my opinion. Um, if y'all didn't like it, sorry. I loved it. I loved Vecna. I loved all the uh, Nairon mm. Elm references. Robert England. Hello. Yes. <laughs> Yes! Oh my god. Uh, just having Robert England alone gave you extra points. Moving on to things that we're going to keep watch for. I have a feeling Jackie's not going to be down for this one, but nope. I have been I hearing you no. wonderful things. Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin. I, listen everybody, don't turn off, don't turn off the podcast, thank you. I've never seen a Pretty Little Liars ever anything once in my life. However, I've been hearing really great things about this one because it gives 90 slasher like in a TV format, and I like that. I want to. I I want to give it a go. I made my sister watch it before I even like ventured in, and she she had good prices, but we all can't account for taste. Ah! But did she watch Pretty Little Liars? No, she did not. I no no thank you, no thank you. So we'll move on to the monsters. Another thing we don't want. Ah! <laughs> Just... <laughs> I have to laugh. <laughs> We've known for a long time coming that this was coming. We finally got a trailer. And it's very lackluster. It, it, it solidified my fear of Sherry Moon Zombie not being able to deliver. <laughs> Alti, oh, shade. She cannot fucking deliver. Uh, it's bad. I just I don't have words for this. I don't have words for this. No, you um, said it, it perfectly when it first came out. We were texting each other when you said it looked like an SNL skit. Shade. Yeah, yeah. It did. It straight up looks like I'm waiting for Kate McKinnon to come out as Sherry Moon Zombie and make her faces. <laughs> and I'm just not about it. 
I'm just not about it. I'm just not about it. I'm sorry, everybody. I know we've talked about Rob Zombie on here before, and we've had guests who don't like Rob Zombie. I understand why. This yeah. is kind of showing why you shouldn't like Rob Zombie. Because when you take away all, like, the violence and the fuck this and fuck that, there really, guys, isn't... There isn't much when you take away, uh, like, all the harshness it's, left. It's just so disappointing because... Listen, granted, we're, we're judging this on just a trailer. But the fact that they went all the way out to Budapest, built Mockingbird Lane from scratch, and filmed this? I'm hoping, I'm praying to God that this is just a really bad trailer. But this movie looks like it's going to fucking tank. It's going, it's being... It's going to premiere on Netflix, which I think is probably the best move they could have taken for this movie. Just put it on a streamer. Put it on a streamer, and we'll call it and good. And let people watch it when they want. <laughs> I'm going to move on, because I d we haven't seen this, so I don't want to keep fucking just beating the shit out of this movie before I even fully get a chance to look at it. So we'll go on. Up next is going to be Disney Plus's sequel that nobody knew was asked for, but I'm happy it is fucking happening. Hocus Pocus 2. Bette Midler is coming back to my screens. Sarah Jessica Parker is going to run amok. And Kathy to Jimmy is going to ride a vacuum once again. Woo! All is right in the world. <laughs> Wait, young queer boy, did he grow up idolizing this movie and quoting this movie? Yabos? Yabos, Max? I'm so excited. Period. End point. Even if it's bad, I know I'm going to enjoy it. I know I will. You want to know why? Bette Midler. Honestly. And honestly, the trio together, the trifecta, the magic. It's it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'm so excited to see them try and murder children again. It's what we love. It's what we deserve. <laughs> it's what we stand on this podcast. Uh, technically speaking, this one just recently came out. However, I did watch this over the weekend. It is going to be They Slash Them on Peacock, starring Kevin Bacon, and a slew of non-binary queer actors, which is so great to see. Mm -hmm. That is where my sentence is going to end. Because They yeah, Slash Them, <laughs> for me, could not pick a lane. It was... There were moments where the, the setting of a gay conversion camp worked beautifully. It was terrifying because of the structure that it's originally based off of. Them trying to add in these like slasher elements, which were totally secondhand, that did not come in until the 11th hour. It's not a slasher, in my opinion. It's bad. And the best way to sum it up is that there is a pink musical number in the middle of the movie, right after having a terrifying moment, and they all sing... Pretty, pretty, please, don't you ever, ever feel. For the full song. The full song, everybody, oh. is sung. Uh, that's, it's like a, it's like a three out of ten for me on that one. Wow. I am going to return it like nobody's business. Wow. Yeah. John Paul, John Paul watched it with, they were super excited to watch it. We both loved the yeah. idea and concept of this movie. Yeah. The representation was great. Did we need this? No. Um, I think, but I'm glad I think it happened. We do need it, but we needed a good version. Because <laughs> like you said, this is a great premise and idea to have a horror movie slasher set at a gay conversion cap. Fantastic. Kevin Bacon. Fantastic. I have yet to watch it. Um, I have seen nothing but terrible reviews. I think you should. 
Umbi, who is a constant um, frequenter of the store and of the pod, guest on the pod, gave it a thumbs down, Hi, I saw. Um, so I maybe, maybe I'll watch it. Maybe, maybe. I would, t- I know we're always high when we watch movies, but I would also suggest drinking too. <laughs> get blackout drunk and watch this movie. <laughs> I'm going to continue on with this week's movie. But before we do that, you all know the drill. We would love for you all to leave a comment and rate the podcast. If you love what you hear, hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming, please. Recommended rentals are our weekly stock pick. A film we either love, love to hate, or love to make fun of. You've never seen the film? Rent it from the store and come back for all the deets. Let us see who can cheat death and who is destined to be chased down by the Grim Reaper himself. Test your luck and get on the ride that is the third in a terrifying franchise. This week's recommended rental is Final Destination 3. And now, our feature presentation. Listeners, you can stream this on our favorite streaming site. Final Destination 3 is available to stream on HBO Max. However, by the time that this comes out, I will say you have like a month left to watch it. Seems and, to be RIP. And who knows what's going on with HBO Max, everybody. There, there's The things are on fire. They're throwing files away. Whole movies away. So who knows what's happening? It's like Mar-a-Lago all over again. Oh. <laughs> Periuses. Zing. That's a zinger. <laughs> Speaking of zingers, let's move on to... 420, which is smoking. What did you pair with this week's fantastic screening? <gasps> okay, so this week I did pick up I did pick up, uh, I picked up the craft cartridges. I picked up a new one. It is Granny Smith Apple. It is so tasty. It's very sweet. Honestly, it kind of tastes more like a gummy Granny Smith Apple than like, (laughs) than like anything else. Like a Jolly, like a green apple Jolly Rancher. That girl. She is that girl. Uh, Delicious. The high is very up. She's perky. She's fun. She feels like she's the number one. She's Granny Smith Apple. Is that a sativa or hybrid? Sativa hybrid. Um, Ooh, so she's verse. She she's she's oh. a verse. She's a verse tot. Mm-hmm. Unlike the owner. <laughs> okay, cool. So no one's gonna ask me. Oh, so I smoked, yeah. What did you smoke? I smoked. Uh, <laughs> I smoked Georgia Pie this week. We picked up from our local mm. pickup, Canada Grow, and um, we picked up Georgia Pie, which is a sativa hybrid. It sounds delicious. What's the highlight? It was glittery, just bar- just around the eyes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like, like an episode of Euphoria, your room. <laughs> it was good. Um, it allowed me to be where it gives you that kind of like fun, loosey goosey kind of high to enjoy this wild ride of a installment in this franchise. Because absolutely, this is a good one. This is a great one, actually. It is a great one. While we wait in line for the ride and smoke, how did you happen to watch this movie? In theaters, bitch. I very jealous. Got the privilege to watch this in theaters. <laughs> um, what privilege? <laughs> with an audience, which is how these movies need to be experienced. They really do. 
I I just recently, really quick on a tangent, recently went to go watch Nope and watching I like I watching that with an audience made me miss you know watching movies like this with an audience to hear everybody's audible reactions and hear everybody finding all these things out in the moment um because there's like don't get me wrong i love to stream things from home i love to like do it from the comfort of my home and smoke and be able to like Absolutely. take bathroom breaks and whatnot but there's a total different experience when the lights dim in the movie theater heartbreak feels quiet. good don't in a place like this dare. <laughs> no 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 yes no 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 she's not a christian me and richard were just talking about this i cannot believe i cannot believe that they renewed her contract and i two, I cannot believe that the gays are standing this. You could never. You could never. You you could never. And I never. saw the lace and it was dirty. <laughs> Bullshit. You can't even afford lace, Vivian. Bullshit, Davina. <laughs> Bullshit. It is a cultural Don't you reset. Dare. No, absolutely. Cultural reset. That that fucking clip takes like a full four minutes. I have to sit through. Don't look. I'm a person who loves movie trailers. I don't mind sitting through like 15 minutes of movie trailers. Uh-huh. But then we have to have like the little before, like every theater has their little before thing. The, let's all come to the lobby and know your exits and no cell phones, all that shebang. And then we still have to sit through a fucking five minute monologue from Nicole Kidman. Worth it. I love it. I love to no. see it. She is the moment. As she should. Correct. She just gets it. She just no, gets no, yeah. I'm uh-huh. I am not here for it. Why? What's your beef me. with Nicole Kidman? I don't have beef with her personally. You're making I, beef. I want to watch my fucking movie. <laughs> is the point? I don't. She's got to let you know that heartbreak hurt feels good in a place like this. Don't take it out on Miss Kidman. That's all I'm asking. Just don't take it out on her. It's not her She's fault. She's a fantastic that... actress. Don't get me exactly. wrong. I don't hate exactly. her by any means. I hate her monologue. <laughs> so, listen, somehow we have derailed, much like the roller coaster in this movie. So you saw this movie in theaters, and I'm <laughs> That's sure what we're it was talking fantastic. about. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, excuse that humongous tangent. Worth um, it. <laughs> uh, yes, I got I got to experience this in movie theaters. Uh, I just turned 18 the month before, so I got to mm, buy my own rated R movie ticket. Uh, I don't know who I went to go see with. I'm probably friends or something. And I just remember having a f- blast watching this. So Because fun. this is, in my opinion, the funnest, as bad as it sounds, of the franchise. I agree. Holy shit. So the first time I watched this movie, this was the very first movie that I checked out of Hello public library uh it was the first one that i've ever picked out and i I distinctly remember looking at the poster the poster is beautiful this movie Mm. knows how ridiculous this is it goes to the ridiculous extremes and it revels in that campiness while also still kind of keeping the tone from the first two movies which Mm. i really like because the other movies just kind of go off nuts even though i do like the ending of the last one i love the (laughs) way that that one ends so the Great. I love this movie. Mary Elizabeth. You know what? You know what? Let's just check out the VHS's special features and find out who made and who starred in this movie. 
Final Destination 3, released February 10th, 2006. It has a runtime of one hour and 33 minutes. Very, very, very clean. And it is rated R in all of its glorious, gory, gushy, bloody goodness. And then we have our singular tagline. This ride Clean, simple, to the point. I love it. A going, like, a pillow next to the graphic poster. Uh it's what else could you, what more could you want? You really couldn't ask for much, which is ridiculous because we've seen so many taglines where it's like 20 different taglines uh, and all of them are terrible. Yeah, they're all duds. <laughs> Moving on to our director, we have James Wong, who would also direct the original Final Destination and write both as well. And that makes sense because like you said, we still, as much as it, it plays with camp, it still gets very serious and we have those scary moments like we had in the first one. Because two is very serious. Two to me is the most serious. It's too serious. Haha. <laughs> too serious. Too fast. Too serious. <laughs> Stupid. For our script, James Wong with Glenn Morgan, who also wrote Final Destination with Wong and wrote our favorite Black Xmas, Xmas Extreme. Extreme. With characters by Jeffrey Reddick. Everybody, please go listen to our Black Xmas episode. Hi, Horror Bandwagon. Love y'all. Um, Featuring Horror Bandwagon. Come listen for the opener. Stay for the great episode. It's so freaking... That was such a ridiculous, wild movie, just like this one. So it makes sense to me that those people involved in the Black Xmas that I love so much are involved in the trilogy-defining movie that I love so much. Yes. Yes. Damn, so they had just worked together on... Black Xmas. Black Xmas. And literally went right into this. They came out in the same year. And brought Mary Elizabeth Winstead with them. Wasn't she in Black Xmas? I believe they shot Black Xmas first and then they... Sh- no. You know what? Come back to me on my investigative reporter podcast so I can clearly give you the oh. next one. Uh, <laughs> Top story tonight with Nicholas Reese. For our cast, we have TCQ alumni Mary Elizabeth Winston as Wendy Woo. Christensen, Ryan Woo. Merriman as Kevin Fisher, Chris Lemick as Ian McKinley, Alex Johnson as Aaron Ulmer, Sam Easton as Frankie Cheeks, Jesse Moss as Jason Wise, Gina Holden as Carrie Dreyer, Texas Battle, literally the coolest Woo. fucking name, as Louis Romero, Jalen Simmons as Ashley Freud, TCQ alumni, Yan K. Crystal Lowe as Ashley Halpern, who was also starred in Black Xmas. She was our favorite drunk sister. We have Amanda Crew yes. as Julie Christensen, Maggie Ma as Perry Malinowski, Extasia Sanders as Amber Reagan, Patrick Gallagher as Colquette, Andrew Francis as Peyton. Surprise cameo of Corey Montes as <laughs> Cah- Cahill? Cahal- sure. Whatever. He, he doesn't have a name. He doesn't even have a. He's like there for two seconds. He has like a line. Dustin Millen as Marcus and Tony, motherfucker. Todd as the devil voice on the roller coaster and subway train conductor voice. Wow. The who's who of Canadian All-Stars season three. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell if this was filmed in Canada? Oh, you can. It's the fingerprints are all over their place. eh? Honestly, uh, it's so funny that you mentioned it because uh, when Richard watched it, when we watched it for this week, he was like, as soon as he saw Corey Money, he was like, was this filmed in Canada? And I was like, oh, (laughs) probably. Uh-huh. It would make sense if it was. But this is a stacked cast. Hello, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, scream queen of the early aughts. Uh, and then hello, Ryan Merriman, smart house. Disney Channel star, Lucky the Irish, uh, smart house, etc. Moving on to 
review on imdb i gave it a 5.8 out of 10 metacritic it averaged a 41 out of 100 our friends over at Letterboxd averaged 2.9 out of 5. And on Rotten Tomatoes, they got a 44% on the tomato meter and a 57% audience score. What do you think about these scores? I am flabbergasted. I am beside myself. I am emotionally distraught. Extremely emotionally distraught. Do you see this? I haven't had one of these in <laughs> years. Someone's you gonna pay for this. Wait for a f-ing moment to you for you to quote Parker Posey. But I just don't get these scores. I don't get these scores. I feel like they're very low, but I, I know I'm being biased. But even still with that biases, I would say this is still a good film. It is, especially like coming from Final Destination. Like, what do you expect? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't really know. agree with these scores. And Letterboxd, I expect a little bit more from Letterboxd. I expect at least a three, if not a 3.5. That's what I'm saying. Maybe I need to go make fake accounts and start just putting five stars. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to ban your account when they hear this episode. <laughs> so now it's time to find out how this movie was made when we head into our behind-the-scenes featurette. We have a budget of an estimated $25 million and a box office gross worldwide income of $118 million. Good okay. God almighty. Seriously, is this conversion of Canadian dollars? Does that mean we get more or do we get less? I actually don't know the conversion from Canadian dollars. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Give me the rest in Canadian bacon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is quite the money maker, but uh, Final Destination was hot shit at the time. They, yeah, it was. People were ready for this. Was at the time of sequels, honey. Sequels, give them to me, and so everybody was ready to eat this shit up, myself included. I went to go see this in theaters, so I happily contributed to that uh, 118 million. For the third iteration of the Destination franchise, the producers really wanted to create a standalone story to cap off the trilogy. With the first two films being closely tied together through story, they wanted this one to feel as if anyone could be hunted by death, that cheating death could happen to any of us. They would use a whole new setting, new characters, and have them all be unaware of what's occurred to them. When it came to casting, originally James Wong couldn't picture Mary Elizabeth Winston in the lead role. He planned on Wendy being a blonde and different from what Mary had portrayed. Liking her audition and her capabilities as an actress, they would alter the script, though, to better suit her acting. And that's badass. Come through, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Jesus, man. She can can cry the house down boots. (laughs) And she pretty cries. And come through, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, because she fucking kills this performance in honesty. I fucking love her in this movie. uh, Crying every scene. And it's so great. The biggest change in the trilogy, though, would be to not have Tony Todd reprising his role as William Bloodworth. He would, however, voice the role of the devil statue and the subway conductor at the end of the film. Love it. Love it. Legacy. Yeah, I love it. I don't think we need... Well, was he uh, a mortician, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think we needed him to come back, but I do love the cameo of his cause his voice. Ooh, his voice. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. It's captivating. And I love it. I love it. The minute that you hear it, it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's Tony. It's like uh, hearing Brad Dourif's voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The rest of the cast would be played by relatively unknown actors to keep the cast both fresh and allow the audience to not have an association with a famous star. Thus, not knowing who would be on the chopping block for death. Genius. I, I like that. 
Yeah, this is great. Yeah, because they all were unknowns, except for I feel like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She wasn't like super famous, but I feel like amongst the cast, she was the one with most notoriety at the time. I don't know. I think we're associating. I don't know. I, I'm going to argue that one because I don't know. Wasn't about that this one. after Black Xmas? Yeah, but you're acting like Black Xmas was a huge hit. Um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was to me. <laughs> Filming would commence in Vancouver, Canada, with the theme park segments being filmed at Vancouver's Playland. With the first two weeks of filming primarily focusing on the roller coaster disaster, before filming even began, the production crew wanted to shoot the roller coaster portions on a, on the very first day. The day that was scheduled was projected to have rain and overcast, a dangerous way to film due to attaching cameras to the roller coaster itself. Thus, they decided to film a scene meant to be filmed in the rain. On day one of production, getting ready to film the rainy, moody scene, there was not a cloud in the sky. Thus, fake rain had to be used anyway. Drama. Dra always. Always. It's always It's always that way. I know. I feel like that always happens with that. Especially for stuff that you really, really prepare for. And then, like, just one simple thing can throw a whole wrench into your plan. So, yeah, they had Honestly. to get rain machines in the scene in order to happen. It's the scene that she's, like, walking away all sad. Because and it shows. Because yeah. it's like a fucking downpour all of a sudden it's monsoon it is. season. However, we said the same thing when we watched The Covenant. Everybody go listen to that episode. We said that that's not real rain and it ended up being actual all real rain. I was like, damn, how much money do they use on fake rain? <laughs> However, the biggest task for production team would be the infamous roller coaster scene. The night shoot would require the cast to ride the coaster over and over and over over again the costume department would create quadruple copies of the actors costumes in case they vomited <laughs> sickness bags were given out and towel cushions would hopefully help the cast to shoot these grueling takes by the 13th go the cast began to suffer headaches 22 times on the first Jesus. night over the course of three nights the cast would shatter that record over and over i could nope i could not out i'm out i'm out coach i'm sick I don't understand like what was being like, I don't understand why it took 22 takes. Like what could we possibly be doing different for 22 takes on a roller coaster? Different angles from underneath the car. Go back and watch it. There's a lot of shots in that like full opening sequence. There's a shit ton of shots in that opening sequence. Um, I could not uh, very quickly. Your association with theme parks, roller coasters. Can you? Or can you not? I cannot. I hate roller coasters. I don't like big drops, loop-de-loops, and all that shit. No. Uh, most I can fuck with is, like, the Mummy at Universal, <laughs> Matterhorn. Uh, the stuff uh, with cool theming. Like, pretty much, like, yeah. I've got to not know that I'm on a roller coaster for me to get on a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't I don't want to see, like, a big steel beam and track, and that's it. Just strapped to a fucking board. No, curling absolutely at 90 not. miles an hour. It's shit like this. This movie made me terrified of roller coasters and that for good fucking reason. Absolutely not. Like when fairs and shit and people are like, let's get on the rides. I'm like, what is wrong with you? No. Do you have a death wish? Not. You should not be getting on rides that are set up in less than a week. I see tape. Not even duct tape. It's scotch. <laughs> <laughs> for the 99 cent store. It's the off, off brand. Oh God. Guarding the coaster would be the giant devil statue used for the facade of the coaster. The statue was made of styrofoam that weighed about two tons and had seven and a half tons of metal support built into it. Even included into the design of the devil was a massive set of balls. Anatomically correct. 
Of course. I, I don't recall seeing the devil's balls. It's in the special fa- special features. Like it's definitely about there. So they made sure to have it. Maybe it was for the actors. I don't know. Maybe it aided in their performance knowing that the devil had giant. Oh, their method now. <laughs> they need to see the balls. Excuse what is this, me, a does the devil have giant f-ing balls? <laughs> <laughs> it, it'll help my character. Are they hairy? Smooth. Definitely smooth. <laughs> No, it's gotta be smooth. Oh my God, time and place. While the film would delve into intense emotional work for the then relatively unknown Mary Elizabeth Winston, for the hard work, she would use music to add to her acting in the film. And between shooting, she would listen to music that would either be sad in tone, lyrically relatable, but use it to make her emotional. I love it. Like, at least she's not method. That's all I have to say. Like, at least she's just like, let me go listen to some Avril Lavigne over there. It works. Imagine if she was method and she was like, no, 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 no. Everybody call me Wendy. The hardest location to secure would be the Andy's fast food restaurant. Wendy and Kevin would get trapped in. To gain the setup they needed for the story, they had to build the fast food building from the ground up from an old abandoned warehouse. The setting itself was inspired by real life situation that involved incidents of people getting robbed while stuck in the drive-thru lane. Glenn Morgan believing being stuck in your car, unable to move, would make an excellent setting for the horror movie. And I agree. He was right. He is very, I I agree. Um, However, when I first watched this, I thought Andy's was like, Canadian McDonald's. Like I, I thought it was like real because it looks Hi, real. Welcome to Andy's. <laughs> uh, it does look real. It, it, it really. I was like, wow, they found a fast food location at the bottom of the steep ass hill. That's a find. So like what luck? It makes sense that they had to transform. A, what was it? A warehouse? Yeah, an abandoned warehouse. Well, it fooled me. Actually, a lot of the stuff I have to know is the businesses, all the fake like ads, especially yes. at the end of the subway. Yes. I love shit like that. And it looks great. I loved it. In an interesting turn of events, the film was screened early to test audiences. In the past, we've discussed the dreaded test audience and how it can completely alter a film. For Final Destination 3, the audience would react very negatively to the ending. This would push production to film an all-new ending featuring the now subway conclusion in November of 2005. The few handfuls of times a test audience was positive influence on a film's production. Honestly, though. Right? Uh, But this isn't new for Final Destination. Final Destination 1 also had a very strange ending that Mm -hmm. was changed because of test audiences. Sometimes they work. Not a Mm. lot. Fortunately for us, it worked in our favor this time because this subway ending is solid it's it's very good originally it was going to end at the tricentennial and yet here we end at this one so much better so 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 Mm -hmm. much better the original ending concluded at the tricentennial fair ian would have been crushed by the same machine but the movie would then end by zooming in on a camera that flashed to cut as the same remaining three survived it was a very flat ending with pickups, they decided to kill everyone. Ian still died the same way, but with a far more horrific kill by being split in two. But the three survivors would meet on the subway train to meet their demise in the new ending. Solid, especially since Kevin gets bangs. Bangs! Oh, God, not the bangs. I got bangs! Tonight will be the night that I will fall for you! Move on to fun facts. For the fans who are obsessed with special features like us, the film's DVD release provided quite a bit of features. Included in the two-disc DVD was commentary, deleted scenes, trailers, Mm. an animated Uh, video, and three documentaries on the film. What? One on special effects in the film, one that examined history of slashers, and the final would be a full making of documentary of the film itself. 
highly yes. agree. The yes. last one is like an hour and a half, goes into great detail. I like that they talk about slashers because Final Destination is a slasher with death being the murderer and it's fucking great. It's great. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I love the BTS because it gives me vibes of uh, when MTV would do the like behind the music video type of thing. That's what it reminds me of. On top of all of this, you would also have the opportunity to play the Choose Their Fate feature, which allowed the viewers to make decisions at several points in the film, supposedly to dictate fate and alter deaths. Kind of, sort of, maybe, if you look at it that way. <laughs> but the only thing you could really change would be at the beginning of the film. You can decide to have the kids not get on the coaster and promptly ending the film immediately. Movies just like, <laughs> they just don't make special features like this anymore. I love it. That's amazing. You're like, no, I don't want to get on the roller coaster. And all of a sudden the credits start rolling. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Have a great day. A lot of them were like, you can have Ashley and Ashlyn pick whatever temperature, like to 70 to 62 degrees. Either way, they fry. Is it 77 or 78? So a lot of them were like, meh, but mm. this is great. I love that they could have been included this. Though. This is cool. I miss it. It totally reminds me of the Goosebumps, choose your own fate kind of thing. You remember those? Yes, I do. So let's quickly go get some cotton candy, some popcorn, some amusement park things so we can go get on the ride and watch the movie. I'm going to get a foot long. We'll be right back after these messages. Our movie opens at McKinley High School's senior grad night at the local theme park. We meet our main characters getting off the high dive. I mean the high dive. We have Wendy and her boyfriend Jason and her best friend Carrie with her boyfriend Kevin. The dual couples decide to get some fried snacks before taking their chance on Devil's Flight, the scariest roller coaster there. <laughs> when they sit down, Kevin snatches Wendy's digital camera and snaps a picture of Stacy's camel toe. When she tries to get it back from him, he puts up a fight until Wendy snaps an up-close picture of him, blinding him with the flash. She states that it's not even her camera, it belongs to the yearbook department at school. The boys get up to order their food while the girls stay behind. Carrie confesses to Wendy that she's dumping Kevin after graduation. When the boys return, Wendy runs over to snap yearbook photos of the school bimbos, Ashley and Ashlyn, who have their whale tails out for all to see. Wendy also runs over to local Jock Lewis, who is making a spectacle of himself while he tries to win a teddy bear, having to play that game with the hammer that you hit the thing really hard and goes all the way up and it dings. I don't know what it's called. I actually don't know what it's called either. (laughs) (laughs) After the photo sesh, the group make their way towards the monster coaster when they're interrupted by a knockoff dancing old man from Six Flags. As Wendy tries to capture the moment on her digital camera, a group of girls blocks her view. When she asks them to move, she realizes it's her younger sister. They have a quick exchange in which we get a sense of the relationship. Essentially, they just don't like each other. Wendy gets her photo as well as the photos of a few other classmates and they make their way into the queue of the ride. Once inside the queue, Wendy is visibly frightened. Her goth classmates try to put her at ease by stating the probability of her dying on a roller coaster. As they line up to board the coaster, they're put into different rows and Wendy and Kevin at the back and her counterparts at the front. The restraints are automatically brought down and an employee comes to secure Lewis the jock's restraint. When he does, it causes a break in the line and it begins to leak fluid. Okay, let's begin the ride. All right, I'm just gonna start with the intro of like the 
amusement park motifs, these this like fairgrounds opening, opening. Thank you, opening credits. I'm a sucker. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for an amusement park setting. This is also where our gals, Destination 180, got their theming for their podcast is because oh of gosh. this specific movie. That's yes. why they have a an amusement park, and I think it's so fantastic. I love this. I love. I love. Yes, I love that the opening credits kind of set you up. Like you said so beautifully for this world of we're taking you to an amusement park. This is a whole new setting. Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're we're also introducing this new motif of photos predicting people's deaths because this hasn't been done before, right? This wasn't done in the first or second movie. Nope. Which is a fantastic device. It's probably my favorite device to come out from this franchise. Absa-freaking-lutely. And it, it makes me a little upset that they don't continue this motif as the, the franchise moves on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can talk about it more once we get like more in-depth to the camera. This is grad night for everybody. Did you ever have a grad night? Did you have like yeah. a place you went to? What was it? Yeah, Disneyland. Hi, it's f***ing Mickey. Was it really? Yeah. All the like local like LA, like LUSD schools have the option of going to Disneyland uh, for their grad night because Disneyland hosts like the entire month um, and they go all night bitch we were there all night we got there like at 9 30 10 and we didn't leave until like 3 4 o'clock in the morning something like that like 9 a.m to 9 a.m to 3 a.m no 9 p.m to 3 a.m p.m yes girl we went at park closing so like they would keep the park open for the day <sighs> And then I'm assuming, obviously, there would be, like, a cast change for the night people. And we were there all night. They had DJs in different parts of the parks. They would turn into, like, a dance party. That's so cool. Yeah, you still had to pay. And, like, it was still pretty pricey, I remember. But, like, we had a nice bus take us down to Disneyland and all that. It was fun. That sounds amazing. My grad night was a grad day, unfortunately. Uh, Ours was... So I graduated in Germany and I lived in a town called Bamberg, Germany. And Bamberg itself legitimately looks like Beauty and the Beast, like the opening credits. Mm, Beautiful. It's gorgeous. But we all lived there when we weren't at school. But our grad day was taking a tour of the town that we lived in. I was so pressed. I was so pressed. Boring. It's so stupid. Y'all live here. So we're going to teach you about the town you live in. As we're leaving. We're all leaving. We've been here for years and now we're leaving. It's so stupid. I fucking hated it. I'm I'm sorry for that. (laughs) I'm so sorry for that. But this is great. I love this setting. Uh, There's also a lot of uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger motifs because Kelly Clarkson's stronger. It was single-handedly holding this nation at this time. Oh my God. And I... I love that they were paying homages to her. She deserves it. It's what she deserves. This movie is going to have all of the men be horrendous. Even the people that we're supposed oh, to I like. I, I'm supposed to like him and he's over here being a fucking predator and taking pictures of this girl's underskirt. Yes. It's life imitating art, imitating life, TBH. This is mid-aughts. So this is still within the realm of we're doing offensive shit and getting away with it. Ugh, because we saw this in House of Wax. I think we even saw parts of it in Friday the 13th. Like this mm-hmm. is like literally in almost every horror movie during this time period. Yes, it bugs yes, the crap yes. out of me. Because we also dealt with like creepy recordings without women's permission in Black Xmas. What is with, like, what is happening? 
I didn't like it. I didn't like it. This and I just have to address time, it. Cause this was, this was at the time of like sex tape scandals and shit mm-hmm. like that. So he, they were just like throwing shit in there to be relevant and hot and it edgy is, of time. It is very a, this timestamp of this like period. Because like all of the men are horrible. Even the good guy, Jason, who is supposed to be Mary Elizabeth Winston's like boyfriend is even like, yeah, I'll buy two copies if it's in there. Like, it's not good. We get Frankie Cheeks, who's just disgusting. Oh no. Absolutely. A guy who graduated two years ago and still keeps hanging around out of the he high school. He wanted schoolers. to come and monitor the girl's growth, he said. Ooh, I hate that line. Foul. Um, we also meet the goth couple who is- Yes. It's Avril Lavigne and any front man band member from the early aughts. Uh, we also meet, I'm just gonna call him Texas because I forget his name, but I remember the actor's Lewis. name more. Lewis, thank you. I loved, th- the actor's name is sick. The jock, he's hot. Texas, but he's very hot. It's uber masculine. It, all he is is his body oh, and I am. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, it, it's, <sighs> he's a character choice. He's a jock for sure. Absolutely. We also get Ashley and Ashlyn. I yes. love Ashley and the Ashley. School bimbos, the bimbets. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Ashley, you're winning. You're totally winning. Oh my god. No, shut up. Look around. Am I winning? You're totally winning. You're totally winning right now. It's just, oh, I fucking love them. The velour tracksuits, the tans, the whale tails, all of it. The coordinating G string to mm-hmm. the coordinating velvet tracksuits. And track you, know, you know they were wearing those platform thong sandals that were hot at the time with mm-hmm. the foam cushioning mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yes. they were probably white too uh, oh, i love it i love it i love it we also get introduced to julie who i cannot stand in this oh, her movie sister. wendy meets her sister julie who's not supposed to be there you're not a senior and what are you gonna do about it this cutest couple rah rah it's so the- it's like, so cringe. Trying to be like anti-establishment or like anti-school function, whatever. Bitch, if you're anti-school function, why the fuck are you at a school function? No, I don't like no. her. Her hat though, her like that weird puffy cap hat that everybody wore during this time period. The one I'm wearing. And I, oh. <laughs> you reckon it? <laughs> Mine's cute though. Mine's black and it is. it's got it's the cute. creature from the Black Lagoon on there. It's by Thank a you. Uh, no, uh, Future Monsters. Ding. Very good. Um, sorry, did not mean to read you like that. Um, but she also, okay, we need to discuss something very important to me. Do you flip off like this? Do you flip off like this? How do you flip off? Because the way Julie flips the bird like this. weirds me out. No, she, why no does thumb. She, why does she do thumb? It's like when you do the pinky thing, she was trying to be fancy, so she gave it a little, oh, like, that fucked up my hand. Hold on. Like, I can't can even you do, do it. Can, Hold on. Is this, is this a way to that? flip somebody off? Hold, how does she do that? <laughs> I can't even do it. That's hard to do. That feels funny. It hurts me. It does hurt. I don't know. She thought it was cute. It was a choice. She does it twice. It's her motif. It's Julie's, like, thing to flip people off like Take this. Take a picture of this. Right. Girl. Right. How old do you? Have you ever had a Krispy Kreme? Was it crispy? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Great. I love, I love all the introduction to everybody. It's fantastic. Let us talk about, uh, 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 uh. You can run, but you can't hide. Tony Todd as the devil and devil's flight. Holy shit. I love. I love this facade. 
I love this thing. The Q vine. In a castle with skulls and it's so goth. And I, what I don't buy, and you can totally tell, is that they just built the facade for like a, a code the loading so station. Existing, and then all of a sudden we're on Viper at Six Flags. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's too, it, there's a disconnect between the queue and the ride itself. Only but theme park fine. nerds would know that, Jackie. Only theme park know. nerds would know. know that. We would know that. Saying. I'm just saying. We would know that this entire time we've been getting photos. Uh, Wendy has been taking photos for the year, but which by the way, I know this is like a technical error, but you can't take photos of grad night for you, the yearbook because the yearbook deadline is like way far back. I said so the none of this same thing. I don't understand this movie's timeline because I also don't know how much time has passed since the the the, the seniors situate the death because everybody has their yearbooks. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, none stuff. of it makes sense. Yeah, it I doesn't make stuff. sense. But whatever, We're, we'll we'll glaze it over. Um, let so she gets onto this roller coaster, and her experience is she's terrified. She doesn't want to get on. We're gonna hear this theming a lot. Control, because the biggest fear of these rides is the fear of losing control. She's a control freak. You're gonna hear it a lot. I made a counter. By this point, it's two control freaks mentioned. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, we get on the ride, and there's that initial fear. Uh, we also try to get, I want to mention the line, Kevin's girlfriend mentions, because they're trying to figure out who's going to go to the front of the roller coaster, who's going to go to the back of the roller coaster. And they're like, well, let the girls go to the back. She's like, what, because I'm a girl? That. I'm going to Berkeley, and I won't be able to do this for a while. And it's like, huh? You're not going to be able to ride roller coasters in Berkeley? What? Well, like we said, this movie like borders that campy kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and this is definitely leaning into that. And it's just a weird line. These are slasher stereotypes. Everybody's like, this is a slasher. I told you, everybody. This is a slasher. We got the jock. We got the we got the the bimbos, goth kids, the creepy guy, the good American boy. We got the the good American girl. We have their partners. Like this is a slasher movie. Also, like I don't understand why a she got on the coaster if she was that scared, and b why her boyfriend wasn't more supportive and been like, hey, if you're really freaking out that much, maybe you shouldn't get on. Like she could, homegirl could have a fucking panic attack on the roller coaster. It's high school. Are you kidding me? I guess. I don't know. I was just never the type to be peer pressured into doing things mm. I didn't want to do. So maybe I just can't relate. I know. They try to peer pressure into being straight and look what happened. Yay. So, I you mean, know. <laughs> didn't work. Did not work. Uh, I want to ask the question, what is your experience with roller coasters? Because I get this feeling that Wendy is feeling because I'm terrified of roller coasters. Same. I don't like I will only get on them if they're extremely beautifully themed. I'm looking at you, the mummy. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite roller coaster, or like Space Mountain, Matterhorn, like where I can't see the track. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying the ambiance. These type yeah. of coasters where it's just a track. No, they. It's not for not me. Personally, me it's. I'm scared. So I get this. This makes sense to me. Honestly, I identify with her because this movie has made me scared that if I go to a fair, I'm gonna die if I get on any of these rides. Which oh, you might. No, nobody. Should, <laughs> nobody should trust fair rides. I have never ever gotten on a fucking ride at the fair except for those really cheesy bad like scary ones where it's just like (laughs) a dummy sitting in the corner um but like a roller coaster or Mm. like those crazy flippy things Uh -uh. no nothing that is set up within a week should be like flinging you up 300 feet in the air absolutely not (laughs) very very valid uh but we get a classic setup for final destination movies you get pre-signs to aid your premonition. We get the sticky gum. We get like mm-hmm. certain interactions and all this wonderful stuff. And then we move into 
After a few more beats that will make sense later, the roller coaster finally pulls out of the station and makes its ascent up the lift. The ride seems to work fine despite it leaking fluid until super perv Frankie Cheeks, who doesn't even go here, screams for Ashley and Ashlyn to show me those titties. One of the girls smacks his video camera out of his hands. It falls and lands on the tracks below. The coaster runs over the camera, partially derailing some of the car, and now completely breaking the line that keeps the restraints secure. All the restraints are loose, and the students are hanging on for life as the coaster roars down the tracks at full speed. The front wheels begin to come loose, and it sends the front two cars flying and completely derailing. Lewis flies out of his car, but Kevin manages to grab his arm and hold him, only for Lewis to be taken out by a flying piece of coaster body. By this point, the coaster finally starts to slow and it stops at the highest point in the loop, upside down. Only three cars and six students remain. The goth couple falls to their deaths and another two fall immediately after. Kevin and Wendy start to rock the car back and forth to get it right side up again and it proves successful, but the coaster gains too much momentum and begins to backpedal at full speed. Kevin is too busy trying to adjust his restraints that he doesn't see the piece of metal sticking out that slices him in half. Wendy screams in horror as the coaster continues to barrel down the tracks, ultimately derailing and sending Wendy flying to the pavement below. Before she can splat onto the pavement, she's awoken from her vision. She's still sitting in the station before taking off. Oh my God. Why we love this movie. This opening premonition is fan-fucking-tastic. You know what part it is for me? during the whole derailment is the very beginning when the shift from fun screaming on a roller coaster quickly switches to horror <laughs> screaming. It's so fucking good. Everybody's reactions are great. It's mm-hmm. terrifying to see the the restraints losing yes. control and going up. The The way that these death traps were set up to be, like, to me, I know, I know it's extravagant. This whole movie is extravagant. It's borderline camp. It is, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's in there. But this for me is believable. I've seen those clips of those fair rides derailing or Ooh, like going yes. off its hinges. Like later on the series really, it becomes like uh, a comedy within it itself, the way that they set up their traps and stuff. But this for me is like the perfect sweet spot of camp yes. and believability. Yes. Because this to me is terrifying. I agree a thousand percent. And maybe it stems from our fear of roller coasters. We're like, maybe this is why we don't get on. This is exactly what's going to happen if I fucking get on Goliath. But it's it's so well done. And yes, like you said, it's extravagant, but it borders that line of extravagant slash reality. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just, it's it's a great opening. It is. I vividly oh. remember like seeing this in theaters and the sound design of just like the coaster barreling down the tracks at full speed and everybody screams and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh. I'm, I'm stating it now and I know we've already stated that we're a stand for her, but she can deliver emotion on her face like nobody mm. else, especially in this movie specifically. She's got a point. She's an icon. She's a legend and she is the moment. Now, come on now. Even when she is uh, she's a small portion of the screen of this coaster, she's still giving it 110%. This is a great premonition. I love it. I think it's fantastic. This is one of my favorite openers. This one and the flight are my two favorite yes. premonitions ever in this franchise. Holy Same. crap. I love this. I love this opening. 
Wendy is visibly distraught, but what else is new? Everything begins to happen as it did in her vision, the camera, the gum, and right as the workers give the green light for the car to leave the station, she flips out and begins to scream for them to let her off the ride. She causes a Karen-level scene that the supervisor comes out and orders operators to only let out the back. She jumps out and tries to explain that she saw it on her head, the accident, coaster, it's gonna derail. Lewis chimes in with some toxic shit which leads to him accidentally slapping the goth chick and inciting a three-way brawl. They're all escorted off the ride and the ride proceeds without them. They finally pull Wendy aside and try to talk to her when the ride inevitably derails. The aftermath is classic. Someone's got to freak out during a final destination, like premonition. Mm -hmm. Devin Sawat set it up for everybody. You have to have a freak out. And monsters acting is cool. The freak out's great. I think that the escalation of it makes sense, especially in 2022. I will just say that now. People just fucking flip out for nothing, and then it always escalates. So the the, the the battle between everybody makes sense to me, and then. The, the shittiest part for me and the number one thing that I wrote down for just like my notes was that uh, even then Jason, her boyfriend, is still trying to get off and it sucks. Like his last thoughts are of like, I'm trying to get my girlfriend and then he yeah. fucking dies. <laughs> like that. Woo. But also he should have been sitting in the back with her. <laughs> so I said what I said. That. that boyfriend sucks. But this is where we get the little uh, kind of premonition whatever's of the gum and the camera mm-hmm. and for some reason what sticks out of my head is lewis and his toxic shit when he so, somebody please control that bitch oh wait a minute bitches fuck me no fuck you and then push and then he accidentally slaps her it's a little extreme about how this brawl a little insights but whatever if i can believe what coaster derailing i can believe this too i guess right and then everybody dies but we get a lot of high shots we get a lot of shots coming from the sky and zooming in on Mary Elizabeth Winston. And this mm. one is my favorite of that shot because all she's doing is crying. The whole movie she cries. What are you talking and about? Tony Collette, Mary Elizabeth Winston, Parker <laughs> fucking Cozy, <laughs> Nib Campbell, heated. criers, 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 criers. I'm a sucker. Parker Posey did not cry. Yeah, she cried that she was on Scream 3. <laughs> 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 We join Wendy at an undisclosed amount of time later as she cleans out her high school locker. She's approached by Kevin, who attempts to put her at ease, but she blows him off. On her way to her car, Wendy is approached by Ashley and Ashlyn, who invite her to go tanning with them. As she gets into her car, Kevin approaches her again, explaining that he did research and explains the plot of the very first Final Destination film. She tells him, fuck you, and speeds away. At home, Wendy confines in her sister, Julie, confessing that she has such guilt about Jason's death. The sisters have a heart-to-heart moment, and then we join Ashley and Ashlyn at the tanning salon. The guy running the salon is too busy to tend to the girls, so they agree to help themselves. Ashley sneaks her super slushy into the tanning bedroom, even though she's explicitly told not to. Ashlyn then messes with the thermostat, which will have consequences later. The girls' scenes are intercut with scenes of Wendy downloading the photos from grad night. As she scrolls through them, she begins to think that the photos warned how the people were going to die. Back at the shop, the girls put on some headphones, lay in the tanning beds, and start getting funky to the roller coaster of love by Ohio players. As the girls get their freak on, Ashley's icy has leaked condensation onto the power box for the tanning beds, causing it to slowly overheat. Back at the house, Wendy gets a lot of ominous signs that death is nearby, so she decides to give the girls a call to make sure that they're okay. 
Back at the salon, the tanning beds are beginning to roast the girls. The heaters turn on and it knocks the coat rack over, which knocks down the shelf above the tanning beds that held the CDs. The shelf becomes lodged between the two beds, locking the girls inside. The beds continue to overheat, eventually cooking the girls alive, causing their skin to blister and boil. Ultimately, the glass breaks and the girls cave in, being completely engulfed in flames. We get a really cool dissolved shot of the girls' tanning beds turning into caskets. Following up the sequence from the roller coaster to this, I cannot wait to get to it, but let's rewind, flip it and reverse it. Some undisclosed time has passed, which bugs me. This timeline bugs me. Like, I don't, it, I don't know why. It just does. Yeah, it's enough time for, I don't know, like a week has passed, two weeks, I guess. Because all the, all the, the students who died in the, tra- the roller coaster accident have been buried and there's like a little memorial for them at the school. So it's, it's been it's a significant like two weeks. Yeah, it's been like a week or two, two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. Well, they had to turn in the yearbook. That's what throws me off because everyone's just like, <gasps> Julie, look who I got to send my yearbook. No way. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, uh, we get poor moody Wendy walking in the rain. I wrote Gwen for some reason on my notes. Uh, she's walking through the rain, all sad. And Everyone else are assholes. I know everyone's been avoiding her because she was the one that had the fucking premonition. But Ashley and Ashlyn are the nicest characters in this movie. I love them just because they like they like to dress the way that they dress. Let them do whatever they want to do. They're sweethearts. That's exactly what Richard said. He was like, they are the sweetest characters. Like they were reaching out in the only way that they knew how. And yeah. you know, and it was like, you have a point. You have a point. They may be airhead bimbos, but they reached out. They did. I think it's so funny. I think we should ask her. You really think so? Yeah. Hey, so we just like wanted to invite you to come tanning with us before graduation. God, that was so nice of us. Oh, we know. It's essentially Romy and Michelle. I was just thinking. <laughs> oh my God, Michelle, that's it. Uh, and then Kevin tries to tell her about the original stuff that happened mm-hmm. in the very mm-hmm. beginning of the franchise, which I love. I love that sort of connection. But Wendy, I don't think she's ever liked Kevin. She never believed no. that he was a good boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, just not about it. And I think that for me is hilarious. I fucking love it. It creates a weird dynamic. Especially they become friends. And they also try to like to allude to a possible romance. I don't like that. I don't like it at I all. I didn't catch the romance part. No, um, maybe it was just me. This duo like of opposites really comes together in the end which i actually really appreciated i like i like this character arc of how they didn't like each other in the beginning because clearly they didn't end that first scene at god night um but they slowly like start to lean on each other because they're all they really have and they kind of work together to try and figure out death mm-hmm. and then when he goes home and her and her sister have a little heart to heart the weirdest heart to heart. I don't know. I just don't like Julie. Because Julie is... This is my... This is my good guy like Bryce. That grandma left me in her will. Ew, Michelle. And then... <laughs> it's exactly it. She's so fucking... You know, she's the little sister. She's just like an annoying yeah. little sister. Yeah. I love my little sister, but this is some of the vibes that can come off. Uh, <laughs> we get our third count at Control Freak. She should have stopped that ride. I know I'm such a control freak. But I couldn't uh. stop Jason getting on the ride. They really push this control freak, and my breaking point, have, we haven't even gotten to the breaking point. Oh my god. It's coming. But while this is being intercut, we get Ashley and Ashlyn at the tanning salon. I love them. I'm kind of sad that, I'm, I was just about to say, I'm kind of sad that we lose them so fast, because they're, they're our favorite characters. They're so funny. 
Because the, before they go in, they're trying to discuss, like, how long should we tan for? I was thinking of going for, like, 20 minutes in the Mueller. We did that for other funerals, and it turned out amazing. Well, that was just a couple weeks ago, and we're still pretty bronze. I was thinking we can go for, like, a tune-up. I want to make sure we look our best. All those kids that died that night will never get a graduation. You know what? You're totally right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> they modeled these characters after Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton. <laughs> I love these girls. I love them. And I love when... Cause, uh, this... Uh, Okay, so we've stated already at this Borders camp, this is where we're kind of dipping our toe into the camp more with this shop owner or employee, I guess. Who sure. It's too busy talking to, I'm assuming his wife, even though he's clearly a homosexual. Just he can never not be gay for five seconds. I'm just like, can you not be gay for five minutes? On the phone, she talks too much. He can't use the work phone because uh, his boss talks shit or whatever. So she's like, it's fine. We know what to do. Just leave us be. And I love when she like, the other girl's walking out and Ashley gives her the up down like any other girl would do. And then as she's walking out, she puts the like the note. Nobody's going to come in here and see my naked body. <laughs> it's very good. I love they play off of each other really well. And then behind the scenes, it really looked like they didn't know each other before this, but they became very good friends during this movie. And I feel like it totally makes sense. It, it totally shows. Yeah. I love it. Uh, they get ready for their tanning booth. And anytime I think of a tanning bed in horror movies, I think of Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I know what she did last summer too. And then I also think of, um, remember she gets stuck in the tanning bed. He Ziploc. Vaguely. You know why? Because whenever I think of a tanning bed, I think of this. This This is my number one. This is yeah. terrifying. The setup for me, the, my favorite thing in Final Destination, especially when it's done really well, is the anxiety-ridden feeling that the audience gets of especially by the third one, it's been established that death is around every corner, that anything can kill you, essentially. So it's mm. so fun to see this, just this, this buildup of like, how were they going to die? The thermostat, the leakage of condensation, the air, death is the air in this movie and him knocking stuff <laughs> over. If for me, it's what makes uh -huh. the movie so good is that anticipation, it's so killing. Death by tanning bed. <laughs> I love it. This kill is so creative. Um, the lead up is, you know, extravagant as we stated before, but all the deaths uh -huh. in this movie are like that. And almost in the entire series, to be honest. But this one, of, I think why this stands out in my head so much is I love when a movie can take a upbeat song, like Roller Coaster of Love by Ohio Players and fucking juxtaposition it with a brutal death scene by Tanning Bed. That is, that is fucking like camp gold in my eyes. Like what? It's, ugh, it's. <sighs> Why are you wearing underwear? Steinman says he gets off on tan lines. <laughs> I really wish we would have gotten more of the girls. I just at least like two more scenes. Just give me two more scenes. Put Frankie <laughs> cheeks before them, please. The, yeah, I, honestly, I, but just the visual. They actually they de developed a new gel for this movie to allow someone to not wear clothing and be burned alive to do this. The stunt people in this movie were literally burnt. Like, like they were able to be fully casted in fire and they would be timed out eventually oh, and do, like, through safety protocols, but they were actually on fire. That is sick. That is beyond sick, especially when it gets too hot and the tanning bed starts breaking and warping and it shatters. Ooh. Ooh. Their screaming is terrifying. And then it leads, 
their skin begins to blister and boil and pop. Oh, you see their bloody hands trying to come out of the tannin <sighs> And they get stuck and it just leads into the sickest segue shot. Mm-hmm. Two tanning beds standing there, burned alive, snap, boom. They're now two caskets. I love that they got buried side by side. <laughs> they just surfed. At the funeral, Wendy meets up with Kevin. She calls him over to Jason's grave where she talks about an ominous presence that she's been feeling. She presents him with a photo of Abe Lincoln taken right before his assassination. There's a clear line running straight through where he was shot. She then presents him with a plain shadow on the Twin Towers. She explains that the photos she took at grad night seem to be foretelling of everyone's deaths. She collapses right after she drops her photos. So Kevin takes her to get some food from a drive-through so no one can hear them talking crazy. As they order the food at the drive-thru, they're boxed in by a big rig and cars in front and behind them. A loose truck from the top of the hill comes barreling down the hill, headed straight for them. The car behind them manages to pull out, but Kevin has to smash out his front windshield to get him and Wendy out. The truck hits Kevin's pickup so hard that it sends his engine flying out the front of the car and straight into the convertible in front of him. It hits the driver in the back of the head and completely hollowing out his head. The duo get up and the driver is revealed to be none other than Frankie Cheeks. <gasps> it's a clue. Okay, we get explanation of these photos, kind of. So Wendy is the visiting Jason's grave and I realized that he was born in 1988 and he died in 2005, according to his tombstone and it made me feel really old. Is that just me? It was just me. No, I'm incredibly old because I'm I was I'm the same age as Kevin. So or Jason. His name's Jason. Jason, it's Jason. I see that movie twice. <laughs> Kevin is the one that she continues the movie with. <laughs> Me too. How do you like these explanations of pictures? Because this is 2006. They filmed this in 2005. I'm a little offended, to be honest. I feel like this is a little too soon. I said this. I'm like, was this too <laughs> early to talk about 9-11? Like it was, it, in my opinion, a little too early. But uh, sure, it happened. But talk about Abe all you want. Fuck that for. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, 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 I mean, I see where they were going with it. I just think it was a little too soon. Um, I could use a different example, but I digress. I guess you can explain that, like, that would be the most recognizable two images that people could think of, like, when it comes to, like, an event happening. Yeah, and premonitions, because that was, a, those were two big events that were supposedly had a lot of premonitions around them. Uh, but Wendy talks about Jason and how she keeps wanting to feel his presence and what she yeah. thought was his presence. It's actually something very cold and terrifying, and it's always around. It was something much more insidious. <gasps> and then they said it they said it and it starts spinning around i i'd love i did not like that spinny shot at the cemetery because no? all those trees were graphics that were put in and they did not age well they looked terrible it looked like to me that she was composited in and that's what it made it look weird no the I, trees look composited to me to i'm gonna have to go back and double check i it's it i but i agree though it's a weird shot i think we both yeah. agree that what is that and then she collapses and he's like, oh my God, have you eaten today? Let's go get you some greasy fast food since you've never had eaten in three days. Mm. And we move over to Wendy's, I mean, Andy's. Um, <laughs> it would make sense that a Canadian production would have like an Andy's. Hey, did you go to Andy's? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we get the setup of almost hitting this truck driver in this giant like semi thing. Mm -hmm. And it's set up to where they're in the drive-through lane and then all of a sudden they get trapped in by another unloading like truck. Yeah, I'm assuming he's like delivering food. This scene 
for me, I like. I think this buildup is cool because it's the claustrophobia of vibes for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It It's probably my least favorite of the movie. Not in a bad way by any means. It's just like in a ranking is probably my like least favorite, but it's creative for sure. Um, we get the glitching of the radio and mm-hmm. just like, starts playing the song. There's someone walking behind there you, which is a running motif in this movie. You. Actually, I think this is our first time we hear it. This is the first time we hear it because before we were hearing a different song in the first movie. I didn't know that it's an actual song. I thought it was a song made for the movie. It's an actual song. Yeah. It's. I didn't know that. It was in the top 100, Jackie. You did not know that. Uh, that it was a song, yes. No, that it was in the top 100. No, I made that. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> you fucking bitch. Uh, I have to mention, technically at this point in the movie, this is control freak number five, because at the funeral, she's talking about how she was upset that she didn't have control. And then at this one, this is five, because she's like, go into that driveway, because I don't want people to hear us. And then he even mentions, oh, it's good to see that you're you're no less than a control freak. It's just like, oh my God. And then when we get up to order, they have one of those screens for you to show your order. And then it says, this display helps ensure quality control of your order and prompt service. And then death makes control disappear. And and, and no. I don't believe that. Never once have I come up to a fucking drive-through screen and it says something about control on there. Yeah, it happened. And then Reaching. This, this is a really cool death though of uh, Frankie Cheeks with the the fan from the engine. I don't know how like plausible that is, but sure. It's not plausible. Uh, but the thing that just bugs me, I wanted to know that it was Frankie. I get the gag of the century of like, oh, it's Frankie who died. Mm-hmm. He was such a piece of shit character, even trying to make out with Julie at Ashley and Ashlyn's funeral. Oh, yeah. Like, I wanted to know that it was him. Because a lot of the times, one of my favorite parts about horror movies is when the bad guy gets its comeuppets. That asshole guy gets what he was deserved. Yeah. And this is kind of it for me. Um, <laughs> I have a question, though. Because according to her premonition, Frankie Cheeks is camcorder was the thing that caused the roller coaster accident. If he didn't get on the ride, what caused the roller coaster accident? I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. Well, technically, Lewis's restraint had already been pushed down, and so it would have been leaking fluid and all that anyway, so maybe that's what caused it. But I agree. Frankie Cheeks got off, and his was like the major inciting factor in the roller coaster derailing. So, plot hole. I mean, whatever, this is a Final Destination movie. Um, I love the spinning of the engine, whatever that's called, fan, sure, and it just slices into his skull, and you get the Foley, man. Foley and horror Ooh. is on another level. You get the crunching, the dishing, the stuff. Little blood splattered naked woman. Naked woman necklace. Mm-hmm. I dig it happened so fast, but Final Destination is, ve- is super known for doing very fast just like out of nowhere deaths. Hello, when she, the uh, first movie, The Bus. Oh yes, so good. The pair head back to Wendy's to go over the photos again. They figure out that Lewis is next and they examine his photo for clues about his impending doom. They decide to head upstate to warn him where he's training at his new university. Before Kevin leaves, he asks about if there's photos of him and their deaths. Wendy confirms which freaks out Kevin, but they both agree to look at their photos when their time comes. The next day, the Bobsy twins meet Lewis at his university's gym that just reeks of toxic masculinity. As Kevin attempts to explain everything to Lewis, Wendy is busy examining all of the dangers at the gym. Lewis is not buying their story at all and continues to rant about he's immune and he fuck death. Fuck 
death! Well, death comes back with the most obscure death of the movie. A man lifting weights accidentally breaks the claw off of the taxidermy bear, which flies into the eye of a heavyweight lifter who drops his weights, causing some swords on the wall to cut the table on the machine that Lewis is using. Nothing happens initially, which gives him the confidence to keep going, but the weights come crashing down on the skull, dousing Wendy and Kevin in blood and guts. Woo, come on, blood and guts. Come on, Splash Oh, jeez, Louise. They go over the photos. They kind of figure out that Lewis is next, and so they decide to go warn him. And when they do, they get to this, this gym. This gym, this college gym of all these football players working out very aggressively. And this is probably, like I wrote, one of the most obscure deaths in this movie. A fucking taxidermy claw off of a bear incites this death? Knocks over. Hold on, I want to go back really quick. So when we were talking about the photos, we mentioned that we really like the photo setup. I wish, there, there's nothing on it, so I wish we could have seen it. I wanted to see them set these photos up. And production had to come up with these photos. They had to set these up so they oh, can yeah. be able to look at these photos. And I think that is so fucking rad. Kevin, though. One more thing. Is, is it bad? I mean, is the way I'm going to die, I mean, is it painful or embarrassing? There isn't anything up my ass, is there? First of all, there's nothing to be embarrassed about things going up your ass. Painful? Yes, but you'll enjoy it later. <laughs> it, it hurts everybody at first. You'll like it after a little You'll while. like it a little bit. So we had to get some in, an internal homophobia in uh -huh. this movie, of course. We had to. It's the early odds. Am I? Yeah. Then we go into the gym and we get some more Kelly Clarkson representation when we get the image of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger with those two knives. Oh and I agree. This is like, what? It only gets, this is the death that pre-sets up the wildest death coming up next. True, true. I said, fuck death. Fuck death. <laughs> fuck death. <laughs> I skip me, but whatever. I'm invincible. I just win, Kevin. I just win. Fuck death. Stop. He's already dead. That's a lot, girl. That's a lot. I'm, There's a lot I'm, of pent up aggression there that you need to work on. I feel like death's a little gay because he was just like, ill. Like, calm down. It's just a game. And then they had to get this specially made because people who make exercise equipment are fully aware not to do anything that could fall on somebody's head. There's nothing that goes oh, yeah. over your head. There's not, there, you'll never find a weight like that. So they had to specially make this. And it's just, it's like a watermelon that just. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, the reaction of Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Wendy and Kevin, the reaction of getting splattered with Lewis's guts is genuine. I don't think that they warned them that they were gonna do the take just then. So they were just like, do it. And Mary Elizabeth Winsett's reaction is so genuinely horrified. They get them, but Mary Elizabeth Winston gets the worst of the gore in this movie. She's there for like every fucking explosion, everybody's dead. So she gets a lot of it. Uh, I just have to mention the special effects artist who made that talked about also creating semi like white gelatinous pieces to look like cartilage <gasps> they would mix in strawberry puree and like banana chunks to make Ooh. this i just you had to ha I, I needed to give the visual representation of that because they Ooh. thought about it because his head explodes sounds delicious though oh i know imagine i love it i really like this death because it just happened so quickly and it's again the build-up it's just like there's uh it looks quasa would be mad here because there's like water leaking on a radio these uh -huh. guys are aggressive the bear the knives it's 
a lot it's of just... the swords were loose. Um, there was a lot of shit going on that could have gone awry. And this is what happened. It comes out of nowhere. As the pair walk back to the car, Wendy contemplates if she was the one to blame for everything. Kevin assures her that she's not to blame, but she kind of is, so. Uh, they move on to the next in line, which is the goth couple, Aaron and Ian, who work at the local Home Depot. They have a hard time convincing the couple of the severity of the situation, but the couple does manage to crack some pretty funny jokes. There's a bunch of fake outs, but what finally puts the wheels in motion is a forklift gone rogue. The forklift silently makes its way around the store before crashing into a wall of hammers that causes the hammers to fall and hit levers, which raises the forklift that raises the wall, which causes these huge wooden stakes to rain on Ian. Luckily for him, Wendy was able to see it coming and pushes him out of the way. Unfortunately, death comes for Aaron right after. She falls back and is shot through the head with nails over and over and over again. Ah, the imagery. So this is one of my favorite parts. I love the goth couple. I love how fucking snarky they are. I love that they work at a fucking Home Depot, like a DIY store. I just want to know, like, why did they have to go and make things so complicated? Oh uh, God! Shut the up. <laughs> but I love how they're. Wa- I don't believe for a single second that they're the only two people closing this entire huge store oh, by themselves and taking care of these custom orders. But whatever, we needed, you know. A, you needed a setting. You'd think you a setting. I love the couple and I love their comments when Wendy's trying to convince them that death is coming for them and death is near. And he starts making, <laughs> he makes a joke, I don't know if he wrote it down about, what? There was a guy behind me in line who was wearing a, a black Coke, but the, the right operator let, let him get on with this huge sickle. He's really good. I really like him as an actor. I love both of them. They're just hilarious. Mm-hmm. They're so laissez-faire, moody, asshole goth. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. us. It's us when we're definitely, at the store. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, I take no shame in that. We are them. They are us. They are us. And they don't believe anything. Even at one point, McKinley is showcasing his craziness. Suggests that Wendy commit suicide so that way she can mess up Death's plan and restart it and be the hero. He's a fucking dick. But this is just an allusion to like what happens later on in the movie. And I really like this because they haven't played with the idea yet that somebody could be the cause of death, not just these crazy contraptions that are happening mm-hmm. around you. So I really like that they're laying down the, the, the groundwork for it. Let's talk about the store that came alive and tried to, the, like, what? This is like some Christine level type shit. I don't know. <laughs> so I, whoo, this, 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 this is a very elaborate setting. This is a very elaborate, there was a lot of motions to Moon finally parts. get to the fucking death because like I stated, it starts with a forklift gun rogue, which knocks over some like uh, uh, window cleaning fluid. It slips in there. It manages to move forward. It knocks over some hammers, which m- moves the levers, which moves the wooden stakes. And Wendy's able to see it coming because she sees the banner. It looks like wooden stakes and this is kill, I guess. I don't- On the picture that she took and it's a lot it's it's a I lot to get there when she's still trying to convince aaron that they're next and she's like so i'm gonna die of nail polish overdose and ian's gonna die of embarrassment 
It's great. That's the fun thing about these pictures. It gives me vibes. Do you remember the Goosebumps say cheese and die? Mm -hmm. I love the idea and the game that is given to the audience of like an I spy. Like, how do you think they're going to die? Like, what is it? Which is why it's the sickest thing to happen when it mirrors their death. It's very, very satisfying. I'm not going to lie. So the wooden plaques fall down from the sky and almost kill Ian, but Kevin is, is manages to move Ian out of the way thanks to Wendy warning them. And as everything falls and this chaos ensues, Aaron gets knocked back by some of the dust that was used earlier because they were working late at night. And then the nail gun that Ian was using earlier to kill the pigeons in the store just happened to be there and she falls back and this one for me it, the tanning bed and this death for me are the mm-hmm. most like they're they're ingrained in your brain forever you can't forget mm-hmm. that shit it's trauma yeah one of the like when planks hits like a giant airbag that's supposed to collect the sawdust that's what blows the sawdust in her face and it knocks her back against the wall which sets off the nail gun and it like it wildly nails her hand to her face in this crazy shot and it's like you said earlier it's the foley and the sound design in this movie mm. of the nail going and her going it is horrendous and then ian gives this blood curdling scream that's very believable like he really did just see his high school sweetheart nailed in front of him yeah. <laughs> it's so it's just fucked it's so fucked. This death sticks with you. Like the imagery of someone's hand being nailed to their face as they bleed out. And what kills me is the sound design of her last breaths and her like aching as like she's dying there. It's intense. And then why is this Wendy's fault? You said it was earlier. How is this Wendy's fault? She warned them not, they were going to die anyway. But in his head, she came and caused this commotion, which led to that. I guess you can follow that. It's, it's intense. It's intense. It's intense. It is intense, but silver lining, she's going to look stunning for Halloween as Pinhead. <sighs> she's going to snatch every trophy. <laughs> After Wendy and Kevin leave the police station, they separate to do some work on their own, which for Wendy is taking a nap at her desk. She's awoken by the sound of her sister leaving for the town's tricentennial celebration. She realizes one of the missing passengers from the coaster is her sister, Julie, when she sees her good luck bracelet in the picture. She tries to call her, but gets no answer. She calls Kevin to tell him about her discovery. He's working the event that Julie is headed to. He says he'll look out for her. He also explains that now is the time to look at their photos. Wendy pulls hers up first. It's no help. It's just her and a blurry face Jason in front of a black background. But her McKinley Senior t-shirt is prominent. She feels like it's a clue. When she looks at Kevin, she says it's out of focus and overexposed, like, fireworks just went off in my face. She hangs up and speeds to the town event. On her way there, her radio goes all tacky, and the song, is walking behind you, begins to play. She realizes in her mirror that she's being followed. Wendy arrives at the celebration right as the fireworks are about to start. They turn out the lights. She has a hard time finding Julie. Kevin finds Julie and tries to pull her aside to safety, but of course, like a rebellious teen, she won't go. Some shithead teenagers light a cherry bomb that freaks out a horse and sends it galloping through the crowd. It makes its way to Julie and drags her through the crowd by the rope and wooden plank it was dragging behind it. Drags her nearly to her death, but Kevin manages to cut the rope in time. Wendy catches up and begs Julie to tell her who was sitting next to her on the ride, exclaiming that she's next. Her friend rises to her feet, horrified by what she's heard, only to be impaled by wooden flagstaff. The girls scream in horror, but Wendy wastes no time. She knows that Kevin is now next. 
She rushes to his side just in time to save him from becoming barbecue. As the sisters help Kevin to the nurse's station, McKinley shows up. Still distraught from his girlfriend's death, he figures out that he's the cause of Wendy's soon-to-be death. He threatens her, and as he does, the flatbed holding the fireworks tips over and shoots directly at Wendy. She drops down and manages to avoid it. McKinley thinks he's exempt because death skipped him once, but after his little speech, the huge metal sign comes slamming down on him, splattering him everywhere. Woo! Wow, 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 wow. They leave the police station after giving their uh, statements on what happened with Lewis. They decide to separate because they've been spending way too much time together. That's not healthy. And so they're like, yeah, let's go do some research on our own, which like I wrote, Wendy's way is to take a nap at her desk. I mean, but she discovers that it is Julie because Julie had that. That's the bracelet grandma gave me in her will. I agree. I've had it. And I'm so, you know what I've had? It. It. So we understand that it's her. She snuck mm-hmm. in. She's a little shit. And we discover that they're pictures. I really love Wendy's picture. It gives me the ring when Jason's face is all blurred and distorted. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. I I mean, yeah. I don't know sure why his face was blurred out like that. Because death. Because it's, it, it's not even like a... Oh, it's kind of like a motif. It's just like straight up just his face is blurred. I like it. I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Kevin... Sure. I mean, I'll give it a pass. Yeah. And then Kevin's picture is just like someone sitting on his face. So I guess I understand. <gasps> um, <laughs> we get to move to the tricentennial. And as she's going, she's being chased or followed by McKinley, who has also been following her since the police station. Because right. that, we get that creepy shot of him just sitting there in the parking lot. Ooh, we get the creepy song again. Ooh, and then she almost hits a wolf. Yeah, there's a wolf for some odd reason. I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be like a black cat crossing your path omen type of thing. Sure. Not the same. Mm -mm. But we make our way to the tricentennial celebration. This freaks me out. I don't like this. Oh, about celebrating colonialism and white people coming over and taking over indigenous people's land. And like celebrating about it and being like, let's reenact it. And I'm just like, Ew, ill colonizer, ill, you know? My favorite part is the Buckford Franklin. <laughs> yes, is the Ben Franklin action. He's just like, let's hope for some lightning. Fuck you, Ben Franklin. Girl, Satan. It's just a lot. I, just, I even wrote in my notes, colonizer festival is what I wrote down. Essentially, what this is, this is some middle America kissing cousins bullshit. Ugh. But they go to the celebration and everybody's there and she makes her way and tries to find Julie. My favorite is when Kevin does find Julie. Uh, Let me explain this to you. Y'all can't see us, but we're flipping each other off. Again, with her weird thumbs. Yeah, it's her fancy. Whatever. It's her fancy thumbs. It's, it's it's whatever. And then these fucking teenagers unfortunately terrify this horse and it goes on a rampage. What is it chucking along? So it looked like I, I I explained it really horribly in the breakdown. It looked like it galloped over like a little wooden like fence thing, and its its rope that it was tied with got stuck on it, and it completely broke off the fence. So it's dragging like its rope with like a wooden like plank type of thing behind it. It's knocking people over. Almost hits a kid. It goes completely over the kid's head. Should have. But then it gets to Julie and then like it, it somehow like wraps around her neck and then that's when the horse manages to oh. drag her through the oh. crowd. 
And bitch, does she fucking get dragged? Like she just got canceled. She fucking deserved it. And she got dragged. <laughs> she literally got dragged. She was of course in a harness that was making sure that she was safe and wouldn't like break her neck. But she was literally dragged multiple times. Like they just kept going at and was it fun? It kind of did. <laughs> it's great. I think it's really wicked. Uh, the save is fun. It's very Disney to me, especially since he gets like a sword. sword. And he just, yeah, Kevin saves her really quickly. Her friend's death sucks. I think it's so funny because this girl didn't even have a speaking role. <laughs> It's so good because it's instant. I love it because she gets there. They save Julie. She's obviously distraught because this poor girl almost died. And she just experienced something traumatic. And Wendy's just like, who is sitting next to you? Tell me, tell me, Devin, who is sitting next to you? They're next. I and mean, her friend really. Calm down. Calm down, Julie. Who is next Why are you calling down, bitch? And then her friend gets up in horror because she realizes she's next. And that's when I guess, I forgot how it happens. I think the horse kicks it over or something like that. But the fucking like flagstaff just comes through and impales her right through the chest. And I love the slow slide just down to the ground. (laughs) She's sliding down. It's fucking intense. And then immediately after, Kevin almost dies by like a gas tank making hot dogs almost explodes because he gets kicked by the horse. It's a kebab, bitch. He gets kicked into the grill by the horse and a kebab like skewer punctures the propane line and then it slowly starts going and it's about to get like in the face. He's about to turn to Freddy Krueger. And luckily Wendy's there to save the day and she pulls him back. It happens so fast. Three deaths back to back. Death was like, I'm over it. Let's go. I've got a schedule. Honestly, let's end this movie. Y'all live too long already. This should have been a one take. And then so they quickly move on to Wendy's death because Ian McKinley shows up all crazy like and he's talking all crazy and he's just like, oh, am I the cause of your death? Da, 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 da. And he, they're talking shit back and forth. And I monologue, monologue. I love what, that they're trying to get Kevin to the nurse's station. Get the fuck out of here, McKinley. <laughs> His death is Baru tall. Like I said, originally in the original cut, this like crane that was held up holding a sign breaks and just smashes him because the fireworks that were on a tread on a back of a truck or something tips over almost hits wendy she gets everybody out of the way so it skips everybody in line doesn't hit mckinley and then it falls on him jesus christ see what i mean this is like a mousetrap pb's playhouse shit yeah it really is and when it falls on him it doesn't just crush him it splits him in half while he's still flipping the bird what is with this movie and flipping the bird. I don't know if he was flipping the bird. I thought it was just his hand twitching. While flipping the bird. Die an angsty teen because he was an angsty teen. <laughs> <laughs> but this was where originally the movie was going to end. We were going to go over to the camera and flash. We're done. However. We flash forward five months and join Wendy on the subway with her new college friends. When she hears someone singing. There is someone walking behind you. She's frozen with fear. The subway makes a stop and she gets a glimpse of the train's number. 180. She sits down and begins to notice ads all over the subway for various businesses in connection with the deaths of her classmates. She convinces her friends to get off at the next exit, only they're kept in place by a rowdy bunch returning from a football game. More so, Julie surprises Wendy on the train and she begins to explain what she's feeling. She finally starts to calm down before she notices Kevin on the same train sitting a few seats over from her roommates. 
She wants over to him. He's happy to see them, but she's immediately terrified. A rogue rat shoots out some wiring on the track, causing the train to derail, killing everyone in order that they would have died. Wendy manages to survive the derailing only to get taken out by the next train coming through on the tracks. All of this was a vision to Wendy. We are back on the train with Wendy and Julie as they approach Kevin. He realizes what's about to happen and begins to panic as they all do. They try to pull the emergency brakes, but no luck. Our movie ends on Wendy's terrified face as we hear chaos commence. I love this cap ending. We're capping. We're capping. capping this movie. This is one of the few times that a test audience has actually come through. This also happened in Final Destination 1. Uh, test audiences help change the ending of that movie too. So Final Destination kind of has like a good leeway with test audiences. I don't know what happens in the later movies. We'll find out. <laughs> this subway setup is great. When I first watched it, I thought it was Universal Studios when they do this subway crash scene. I legitimately <laughs> thought that this was it because it gives me the same energy. I love the setup. I love that she's at college. She's moving on. Everything's great. And then just the strange occurrence after another strange occurrence, Julie's here. She didn't tell her that she was coming up. It was a surprise. Uh, also, the football team fans that are coming on are the enemy football uh, team the, it's oh, the Bruins team that Kevin's coming to, to go do. He got bangs since like they last saw each other. Got bangs. This train derailment scene. A happens so fast. Literally, Julie is taken out by flying something like concrete. Mm -hmm. Done. Kevin gets smashed inside of a window that's pushed up against the Ooh, goddamn. And it matches his picture too. Ooh, it's terrifying. And then uh, everybody starts dying, and it's Mary Elizabeth Winston in this rubble, and she just gets hit by a train. It's fast. And it's epic and it's fantastic. I can't believe they came up with this on a whim. Like, excuse me? Originally, they had also planned that the final survivors from Final Destination 2 were going to make an appearance on this one. But unfortunately, they couldn't get their schedules lined up. They were going to be on the train with them as well, meeting their end. Oh, I wouldn't have clocked it probably. Oh, they didn't even make it. So, it would, oh, yeah. No, you're right. I don't think, I don't know if anyone would remember it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I really love it. And then we zoom out from the vision on her crying again. I was just about to say, I love that we circle back to the beginning of her, like, instead of it being the real ending, like, oh, just kidding. Like, it's just her vision. And then we do, and then you just cut to black and then you hear the chaos ensue. It's Eskis. Perfecto. I think it's a great conclusion to this movie. This movie that hadn't really taken itself too seriously, but also did in parts that it needed to. It's great. Mm -hmm. So we're here at the end of this movie. What are we going to give this week's flick? What are your final scores? Ooh, the second film in our third Times the Charm lineup is a doozy. And mm -hmm. I love it. I, I just, I'm just gonna come out and say it. I wanna buy it. Uh. I buy it. I love this movie. I had the experience to watch this in theaters. I love it. I'm buying it. You should buy it too. I will absolutely buy it. I do have it. I do own this movie. I gladly watched all the special features. I watched all of it. I watched every three of those documentaries. Yes. And I probably will go back and watch the commentary because I think that's great. <laughs> buy it. It's a great time, everybody. It truly, truly is. But speaking of good times, concluding our third Times the Charm theme is the third iteration that brought rock and roll to a familiar dreamlike series. Closing us out is the Nightmare King himself. Don't fall asleep as we discuss 
Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Dream Warriors. Don't want to dream no more. Dream Warriors. I am so excited. We get to go back to the 80s. I'm so stoked. It's my favorite time period. This is my favorite in the franchise. Going back to grassroots. I am so stoked. I think this is three. This is our third. This is our third Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, bitch. I don't know what to say. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, y'all should go listen to uh, Freddy vs. Jason and Nightmare on Elm Street too, because those were uh, those, those were fantastic. Movies. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the Queens on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFURay. We want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode. Please make sure you tune in next week for the fantastic fun ride that is going to be. So excited, everybody. I cannot wait. We will see you with some Hypnosil next week. Mm, Till then, stay safe, stay queer, and, you know, do Do good stuff. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, 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 bye.